directly to Ezekiel 15. It's been a while since we've been in the book, but we're picking up with the 15th chapter. Short chapter, just eight verses, and uh, we'll just cover those eight verses tonight. Ezekiel chapter 15, I'll be starting verse 1, I'll read all eight verses. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make any object? Can men make a peg from it to hang, on any, ve- hang any vessel on? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it, and the middle is burned. Is it useful for any work? Indeed, when it was made whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Thus I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness. Thus says the Lord God. Father, we ask for your word to minister tonight to each and every person as you designed and the Holy Spirit as you direct. And we pray, Lord, for your just presence here tonight that you would be the one to disciple us. We want to be more like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. On a blustery day, this story was originally told by Pastor Chuck Swindoll, But he said, on a blustery day, a fellow was working on his roof, which had a sharp peak. So he decided to be safe. He should somehow secure himself to something on the earth. He tied a rope around his waist and pulled it tight, climbed to the roof and went over the peak. Then he threw the rope over the side and said to his boy, tie that to the tree. Well, the little kid thought, that tree is rather small. So he tied it to the bumper of his dad's car. Mom was busy in the house with chores of her own. She discovered, however, that she needed to make a quick trip to the store. She went out, put the car in reverse, and the guy came off the roof in fast order. Israel and Israel in the prophets, uh, not Israel in the prophets, but Israel in the religious establishment, the priest and, and the false prophets, were a lot like the dad and son. Uh, working in tandem for certain destruction. And even though God had given all the way back to the time of Moses exactly what Israel should be doing to ensure their blessing, to ensure them being under the protection and shadow of the Almighty, their response to that was rebellion, was to listen to false teaching, was to listen to Uh, really the religious um, influences of the nations around them. And so they would end up tying themselves to something that was not in any way secure. And just like tying the rope to the bumper, it's going to pull you straight off. If we tie ourselves to anything but what God has told us to do, we're not in a good place. And Israel had been many times over warned uh, for a long time to turn and to listen to what God had said. And, you know, God is a compassionate God. Wouldn't you agree? 
gracious and compassionate, full of mercy. He's not desiring to rip Israel off the roof and, and is in the metaphor that is in the text itself uh, to take a bunch of vines and throw them into the fire. Now those of you uh, that are actually good with wood and, and woodworking and stuff like that, of which I'm not good at any of that stuff, I'm good at watching you do it and things like that, and uh, I, I do like to watch those kind of things of people that can uh, do those uh, kind of projects of I'm going to make a table. If I made a table, it would end up looking like, I don't know, a footstool or something like that. Um, but you have to have wood to work with, and uh, not only do you have to have wood that actually can do the job, but it has to be workable. And so the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, uh, I want you to think about what good as far as making something, a wheelbarrow, something to hang something on, uh, a cart that oxen can pull, anything. What can you make out of a bunch of vines that are hung up on the tree? And really the only thing you can do is you can use it for kindling. They're, they're, they're all different knots in them, they're different shapes, they're wrapped around, uh, you, they're kind of an eyesore if you're not really wanting them on the trees and uh, there's really nothing you can do with them. But if you did you know, have them in a pile, they could be used as kindling, just fire. But you're not going to be able to build anything with them. And it wasn't the Lord's design for Israel to be kindling wood. It wasn't God's design that they would be firewood. God had uh, saved them out of the land of Egypt that they would do something for the Lord, that they would be useful for God, that they would actually make his name known, that they would be the nation that would actually point men, women, children all around the world to the true and living God. If you're taking notes uh, tonight, I've titled our time in God's Word, Fit or Unfit for Use. Fit or Unfit for Use. We'll look at three things tonight from the text, reality, depth, and time. Reality, depth, and time. Start with reality here. The Lord asks a question to Ezekiel, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch was among the trees of the forest. Now, the Lord knows the answer to this question, and Ezekiel, of course, will know the answer to this question because he'll immediately understand, well, it's not. The vine is not better than the other wood. The vine is far inferior to the other wood. The other wood we can do things with. We can cut it. We can make, uh, even if we were to uh, do a fire with those trees, they would last a lot longer because they're logs and they'll have a slow burn. There's a lot of things that you can do that would last and stand the test of time that we could make. And we make things, even to this day, we make many things out of wood, don't we? Even now. You know, a lot of our furniture, violins, you know, pianos, all kinds of things are still made of wood even to this day. But you're not making any of those things even now. None of those things are made with vines. I guess today maybe with wood chipping and pressed composite and things like that, there might be some kind of uh, thing that you could do now that you couldn't do back then. But they weren't using those materials in those times. But the reality is that they were not uh, in any way what God was ever desiring Israel to be. He didn't design Israel, didn't call Israel to be kindling wood, but they had themselves chosen to be in that state. In Psalm 139.1 it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knew Israel far better than Israel knew Israel. 
He knew their sin. He knew their secrets. He knew their rebellion. But he also knew their calling, which, of course, they had rejected. He, of course, knows the individual heart, too, doesn't he? He knows the true state of any nation. He knows where America's really at. I mean, even more, you and I can do our best guess, our best observation of where we're really at, but he knows definitively where we're at. Even where we're at, when we get to the third one time, where we're even at on the time clock. All of those things. You and I do our best. We, we know revival's needed. We, we can see this. We can see this is wrong. We can see that there's all kinds of immorality. We've got all kinds of covetousness, greed. Uh, we, we have abandoned the Lord. But we, we can make our best estimate, but the Lord knows where we're actually at. He knows where any group of people are at. He knows where a family is at. But he, and most importantly, knows the heart of each individual because people come to Christ one by one. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. There's a lot of inner depths of our heart, isn't there? It's a lot deeper than we sometimes even recognize. Only the Lord can search the depths of our heart. Sometimes we don't even know what we're actually feeling. The Lord can pinpoint it. I saw a show recently where a lady was being interviewed. She was very bright, very articulate, good personality, and she made this comment. I'll be interested in finding out who I really am. You know, the enemy doesn't want people to know who they were created to be and where they're at spiritually. Did you hear me on that? The enemy doesn't want people to know who they were created to be and where they're at spiritually. Many people don't want to know who they are relative to God's holiness. And that would make sense, because when you stand next to a holy God, it's pretty sobering, isn't it? And they also don't want God to know where they're at or what they're doing. I want God to know where they're at or what they're doing. Now, this is why people busy themselves with so many things that they can effectively drown out the voice of God. The voice of God through nature, the voice of God through the still small voice, the voice of God through any means that God would use, and He uses it a lot to speak to people. But if they can busy themselves that they never can hear God, hear from God, then they can just rest to themselves and say, well, as far as I know, I'm in good shape. Israel, as far as we know, we're really good wood. As far as we know, we're not kindling wood. Make a baby grand out of us. But again, the Lord knows where we're really at. Most Americans, after putting in a full day's work, uh, getting roughly eight hours sleep a day. I don't know if most Americans are getting a, a really restful eight hours sleep, but the, the research I did shows that people are still getting on average about eight hours a day. Uh, I've, done, I've done other studies where, I've said be, where it's shown that people are not getting a whole lot of deep sleep, which would make sense because of all the, the uh, distractions in the brain and the uh, 
electronic devices and the overstimulation of things that, uh, that are around us. But nevertheless, after putting in a full day's work, roughly eight hours sleep, all the other essentials of the day, and there's quite a few of those, uh, plus things like getting ready, driving to from work. According to a July 8, 2014 USA Today article, uh, these same Americans still managed to get in 4.02 hours every day of leisure activity on average. And this would include TV, relaxing, socializing, devices, all kinds of other things that are just, they're not work-related, they're not sleep, they're not eating, they're just 4.02 hours a day, still able to get into these other things. Now, worship wasn't mentioned in that article. Surprising, huh? Worship was not in the article. Now, I get the writer probably wasn't thinking in those terms. It probably didn't even register to even look for that. And if, if I was to talk to the writer, the writer would probably tell me, hey, this wasn't a religious article. This was about lifestyle. Ancient Israel would agree with the writer. They had compartmentalized and kept some aspects of worship and some of the commands that Moses had given. They kept some. But none of those would alter the way they wanted to live. You follow me? Ancient Israel still had elements of religion. They still had the temple. Some of them, many of them still went to the temple. And yet we're still involved in idolatry, immorality, all kinds of other things. So they had elements of what had been given to Moses, but by no means were they serving the Lord like Moses and Joshua. They had left they could not say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, because they weren't serving the Lord. They were now serving themselves. Like so many today, they had neither the time nor interest in hearing from God. And to hear from God, well, that would bring conviction and a call to surrender. So the best choice was to do this. Just cover the ears. Because if you cover the ears, as far as you know, you're really good wood. You're not an outcast vine. You're not prepared to be kindling wood. As far as you know, you are the best of the best. You're God's chosen people. Surely God would not, surely would God would not throw us. We're the chosen people. Now, again, I, I still scratch my head when I look at ancient Israel and how they could possibly think this. For those of you that are new to the study, I, I, could you not look at the ten tribes above who had already been uh, carried away by the Assyrians? Could you not look at the fact there had been two waves, two waves already of captive, captives who had been taken to Babylon? But I, I could ask the same thing of our own nation. I could say, could we not look at uh, all the things that we as a nation, it doesn't matter how many times we've had tornadoes, the number of people that have died of cancer or uh, earthquakes or all kinds of things. And, and we see a lot of death and destruction. And we see that uh, I, I agree with, I think, uh, recently I heard Dr. Tony Evans talk about the nation, of, that our nation is under partial judgment now. Well, Israel even then was under partial judgment. But partial judgment is actually grace as long as you still are alive because then God has given you an opportunity to hear now, to be sure, you obviously have to have a relationship with God to make hearing from Him 
and spending time with him a priority. I think we'd all agree. You have to have a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with God, then hearing from him and spending time with him would never be a priority. But I think most Americans, at least many Americans, whether it's most or many, God knows, but I would say many Americans make the same assumption ancient Israel made. And this is the assumption, I think, that many of Americans make and ancient Israel made. If I don't care what God is doing, I'll assume he doesn't care what I'm doing. Think about that. If I don't care what God is doing, I'll assume he doesn't care what I'm doing. And I believe many in ancient Israel thought that, and I believe many in America think it today. But guess what? God does care what we're doing. And he definitely cared what ancient Israel was doing. He cared so much, he sent the prophets of old to tell them, repent, repent, repent. He ultimately sent his only begotten son, who Jesus said, you would kill me just as you killed the prophets of old. That's exactly what happened. He cared so much about what they were doing, the state they were actually in, not the state they might have perceived themselves to be in, but the state they were actually in, he sent his only begotten son. See, God comes calling to where we're at, even if we're not looking for him, even if we're hiding from him. Remember the Lord calling to Adam in the garden? Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Where are you? Where are you? Now, of course, God knew where Adam was, didn't he? He knew where Adam was at. Did Adam know where Adam was at? I mean, did he know in the depths how far down he really was? God had sent the prophets to ask Israel the same question. That same question. Israel, where are you at? But not only did God ask Israel where they're at, he gave them the answer. Didn't you love, remember back in school or college, open book, test, which weren't always easy if the book was like this thick because you had X amount of time to find said answer. So if you didn't know where the book was, that didn't necessarily help you a whole lot. But generally speaking, open book I preferred over not open book. You still get those at VCU? Every now and then, right? Um, but the Lord gave them better than an open book. It was not only open quiz, but here's all the answers. Israel, where are you at? Well, we, as far as I know, we're in great shape. No, you're not. The prophets would say. Jeremiah would be promptly shown to the dungeon. We didn't ask you to give us correct answers. We asked you to give the answers we wanted. Only the Lord knows. He's the only one that knows where we're really at. He's the only one that can send his prophets to tell us the facts in love, the truth, what we need to hear. But what about us? What about us personally? Do we answer when the Lord calls us? Do we really want him to show us what's in our hearts? Do we want him to show us? Or are we rather, oh, not, I don't want to know all that. Do we really want God's reality check? 
know the term about reality check? God can give us the most accurate reality check for where we're at. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Of course he does, but there the psalmist, I already read from Psalm 139. In this verse, the psalmist is asking God to search the heart. I don't know about you, but I do. Lord, I want to know that my motives are right. I want to know that I really uh, love you with a pure love. And, And I know that at times, Lord, I want to make sure that what's not right is made right. He's the only one that knows where we're really at. But how does he reveal it to us? In Israel's case, he sent Ezekiel. But he'd already sent, they had the word of God. If they were willing to go back and read Deuteronomy, go back and read the book of Joshua, they would have had their answers even without Ezekiel, even without Jeremiah. But how does he reveal it to us? Well, I'll give you some areas where I know that I've received God's voice, and I would assume all of you have as well. Number one is His Word. Personally, reading the Word, it's good to have a pen and a highlighter with you. Write things down. I was in my old Bible just this morning, and I opened it, and I was looking at things I wrote back in the year 2000. I was looking, at, matter of fact, one, one passage, I was looking at 1997, I was in Proverbs, and I wrote something about if, if we follow Christ, our children will follow. I didn't have children. Well, I didn't have the children. My wife did, but you know what I mean. We didn't have children till 2000. And I wrote in 97 in my Bible, if we follow the Lord, our children will follow. See, the Lord, He goes before us. But He's also going to tell us in our heart, through His, through His Word, through enduring prayer, If we don't have a prayer life, we're not going to be hearing where we're really at. What God's really trying to show us. Through other believers, iron sharpens iron. Being around other Christians and more mature believers is a good thing. We not just surround ourselves with people that uh, are kind of our, you know, you want to surround yourself with people that really take you to a higher level in your walk with the Lord. And it really, and I don't mean to say that exclusively that, but that should be part of you know, a wide range. Younger believers are great because you know, their excitement and you get to pour into them. But more mature believers are good because they get to pour into us. Sometimes through a teaching or a message, not just one in person like this, but a Bible study like tomorrow night or one of the ladies' studies or uh, sometimes it's on the radio. I've had many times God speak to me through a radio teaching broadcast or and online if you're downloading something. Sometimes through a song. I, I've had the Lord speak to me very clearly through, through music at times. Perhaps a dream. The Lord speaks to me sometimes in dreams. Sometimes it goes for months. Sometimes I'll have one and I'll know the Lord just reminding me of something. Uh, maybe it's through uh, a thought or realization that seems to come out of the blue. You're driving down the highway, but it's not out of the blue, is it? It's the Lord speaking to us. And you realize it's the Lord speaking or confirming. And He's telling us where we're at, but equally, not just where we're at, what He wants us to do. See, God doesn't just tell us the situation or the problem 
but he also always has the follow-up to it, the solution. Not just where we're at, but what to do. After Jesus rose from the dead, remember he went to Peter on the shores of Galilee, John chapter 21, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter got frustrated. Lord, you know. Interesting, huh? That Jesus said three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Remember, he denied Jesus three times. He was asked three times, do you love me? But not only was Jesus ultimately restoring Peter through that, but he was probing the condition of Peter's heart. Now, Jesus knew where Peter was at, but he needed Peter to be settled with where Peter was at. And then after testing Peter, he didn't leave it at that. He told him what to do. He said, feed and tend my sheep. Feed and tend my sheep. Because once we know, if, we, if we're not doing, it's one thing for God to reveal to us, but then if we don't do the things he's asked us to do, we're no better off. The old in ear, out the other. And Peter did. He started feeding the sheep. Sadly, Israel was asked the same question. Israel was asked by God, do you love me? Sadly, their answer was, no, we don't. We'll see more of this in chapter 16, where the Lord's definitive on this. I, I don't have to guess. This is actually very clearly documented by the Lord. Let's look at Israel's lack of depth, if you're taking notes, under depth. So he says in verse 3, is the wood taken from it uh, to make any object? Can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? In other words, it has to have the thickness of the wood. The vine is so thin that you couldn't really make anything that, you know, you know when you have like those vine things, the wood just kind of stretches and uh, kind of bends. There's, it doesn't have any strength because it's not thick enough, not strong enough. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for just a second. 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's in the New Testament. That was a joke. I guess everybody here knows that. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Paul writing to Timothy here. He says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and here it is, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then look at the verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Kind of looks like a, the 20, verse 22 kind of looks like a strange addition to those two verses, but it's not. It's not A, because God wrote it, but B, because there's actually, um, the sequence there has practical, makes practical sense for us growing in the Lord. Now, first of all, it, we, we understand that in any house, there are some items that are of more precious value than others, just like the same in your house. There's things that, you know, the plastic sippy cup is not quite as valuable 
as maybe, I don't know, dad's watch. Both are useful. One will have a much shorter lifespan. Oh, and if your kids are still drinking out of a sippy cup when they're teenagers, that wouldn't be a good thing. But it, one has a shorter lifespan, doesn't cost much if you lose one, and, and we know moms have lost plenty of them. Our minivan has, and many things have gotten lost in the van, and we never find them again. I don't know how it happens. But you don't want to lose things that are valuable. And some are for dishonor. You know, they're obviously uh, in the, in the um, Old Testament, there was things that, uh, that were dishonorable. I mean, that, that there had to be a cleansing process, uh, all of those things. So, you know, uh, the toilet would not be an honorable thing. You know, the things like that. that uh, useful, yes. Honorable, no. But the Lord wants to sanctify us. Remember the things in the, in the Scripture, sanctified to cleansed, purified for the Master's work. The Master has a plan for each and every person. He had a plan for Israel. But Israel said, we don't want your plan. We'd rather be, well, they didn't know they were vines, but again, that's what they were choosing. The Lord has a plan for us and a desire for us to be useful in His hand. Simple question, do you want to be useful in God's hand? Do we want to be useful in God's hand? Or do we want to be useful for our own purposes? And he goes on in the 22nd verse, and he says, all right, if you're going to be useful for God, if you're going to be useful to do the works you've been called to do, because we've been called even before the foundation of the earth, the Scripture says we've been called to works before we were ever born. Specifically things, there's everyone in this room, and I see all your faces, you have been called to things that I will never be called to do. You'll be called to speak to a certain person that I won't be. You'll be called to go somewhere that I won't. You'll be called to pray over a need that I won't even know about. And conversely, I will be called to do things that you won't be called to do. But collectively, we'll all be called to a good work, but we have to be ready for it. Just like we're to be ready to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies within us. But to be useful and ready, we have to remove the one, which is our natural tendency of flesh, and it has to be replaced by something good. Flee also youthful lust. Lust comes natural to all of us. I'm not just talking about moral or immoral lust. I'm talking about the lust for things. If you were here Sunday, you saw, I mean, there's two Johns on the boat. John Harper and John Astor, John Jacob Astor IV. One wanted eternity, one wanted all that the world had to offer. So we all have a lust for things, but Jesus told us to deny ourselves, didn't he? That's not natural. He said deny, he didn't say deny someone else, he said deny yourself. The number one problem in any room is sitting right in the mirror, isn't it? Israel wouldn't deny themselves. Matter of fact, they wanted to gratify themselves. But the Lord said, but those things will never satisfy you anyway. Well, yes, they will. Flee youthful lust, but replace it with what? Pursue righteousness, and you can just put pursue in each of these. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. I don't know if you see that 
in the text, but pursue takes some action. You ever had to chase something down? It doesn't come easy, does it? Pursuing these things. To get here tonight, I'm sure that there was plenty of obstacles. Plenty of things you could have done, places you could have been. And you know the enemy will hinder us in every step of our life from pursuing these things. Pursuing righteousness, pursuing faith, pursuing love. And the children of Israel, they were to pursue the things that God had given to Abraham, God had given to Moses, God had given to Jacob. They stopped doing it. Israel was a chosen vessel. They had been promised, it was a conditional promise, they had been promised peace, prosperity, and the presence and protection of God. Who doesn't want peace, prosperity, and the presence and protection of God? I think we all want that. Israel even wanted it, but on their own terms. And they would have these things if they followed the Lord, and they rejected the gods and the ways of the pagan nations that they were to replace in the land of Canaan. Spiritually speaking, as a nation, they could have been fashioned, could have been fashioned, and at times they were under David, even for a time under Saul, certainly under, uh, for a period of time under Solomon as well, when the temple was built. But spiritually speaking, they could have been fashioned into tools to build and grow, tools for harvest, tools for planting, tools to save lives, but they were actually choosing to be useless. And, invent, and they were inviting death and destruction. Inviting death and destruction. Instead of pursuing righteousness, they were inviting death and destruction. Isn't it amazing how people choose a worthless life, a fleeting life, and they reject the eternal things, and instead they cling to temporal things? And we all have a tendency to do this sometimes. We pick them back up. The Lord wants to remind us to keep our eyes fixed upon Him, laying up treasure in heaven, looking to the Lord. Do we believe God, I mean, do we collectively, us here, do we believe God that His plan and His guidance is the only source of life and peace? Do we really believe that? It's the only source of life and peace. I mean, everyone's tried. You, you saw this. Everyone's tried everything else. There's nothing really left to be tried. Although I, I, I did see one in the news this week. I saw that Google announced that they believe that man can live 500 years. And they are investing heavily, biotechnology companies and everything else, to figure out how man can live to 500. They really do want it to be like the days of Noah. Uh, when Jesus comes back, because <laughs> people are living to be 500 to upwards in Methuselah, the oldest man, just shy of a thousand years. But um, but we're always searching for these other things to bring life and to bring peace and to bring prosperity. And God says none of those things are going to work. It's already written in the Psalms: man's days, 70, maybe 80 years, if reason by reason of strength. That's, his word is settled forever in heaven. Ponce de Leon, he was trying to find the fountain of youth a long time ago. The Lord says, the fountain of youth is at the cross. Because 
The temporal things of life are going to go away anyway, but eternity will live on and on. And Israel, sadly, they had been given all of that truth, and they had no depth in them. They were as thin and veneer as all the nations around them. Spurgeon said, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. Isn't that great? We get to the place where we are like-minded. We have the mind of Christ. I mean, when you have the mind of Christ, you think like Jesus. And the things that he thinks are important, you think are important. And then they become. You become like-minded with your father. Anyone, anyone who say, oh, me and my dad are just alike. Wouldn't we love to say that about our Heavenly Father? Me and my dad are just alike. Not in position of power, but in thought. That's where we find peace. That's where we find depth. That's where we find purpose. C.S. Lewis says, die before you die, there's no chance after. Die before you die, there's no chance after. We die now, and we live unto Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. But he said to be crucified with Christ was the way he would live. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 24, Most surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. See, you can't become a strong tree that's useful unless the seed has died first. It has to go into the ground. It has to die. Israel was not willing to die to themselves. They refused to let go of what they wanted. Israel, instead of being the rooted cedar or flourishing palm found in Psalm 92.12, they were instead this thin, tangled, worthless vine. They had no roots. Reminds me of when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 5, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. There's no depth. Israel was choosing, instead of the depth and the roots that God would give, they were choosing all the same failed. I mean, over and over again. They, had seen, they, they were living in land because of enemies that had been defeated who did the same things they were now doing. I mean, the nations before them had participated in child sacrifice. The nation had participated in all kinds. When we get into the 16th chapter, you'll see some of the sins they'd gotten into. And all the things that had been done before, who God had wiped them out. Remember Jericho? Egypt? Right? The Amalekites? All these. They had, they had seen, at least their ancestors had seen, great victories where God had actually judged all of that and they instead said, I know it didn't work for Jericho, but it'll work for us. They had no depth, and therefore they had no growth. They were becoming a God like the weeds in our yard, something we're eventually going to pull up and remove. Because God's not going to let things tolerate, and he's not going to tolerate things forever. There really is a judgment coming. And there's a, there's a moment where the Lord says, and I don't know what that moment is for each individual person. I don't know what that moment is for our nation. I don't know what that moment is for the world. But I know the book of Revelation is going to come to pass. I know the things that uh, 
God has said will take place, will take place. I know that every person will have that time where the Lord says, all right, we talked about on Sunday, the rich fool, your soul is now required. And there was a time in our last bullet point tonight under time where the Lord was going to say to Israel, there's no more time. Therefore, thus says the Lord, like the wood of the vine among the trees, which I have given for the fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will set my face against them. They shall go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. No matter which way they go, there's no escape. The judgment will come. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy 2, verse 25 through 26, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Because we're not the Lord, we just simply continually, everywhere we go, we throw out the life preserver. We just keep throwing out the life preserver to people. Because we don't know if they'll come to their senses and say, I don't want to drown. Israel was going to drown, and of course God uses fire here because Jerusalem will be literally burned when Babylon comes in to destroy the city and they raise the place, they will set it on fire. And the city will burn, it will be a raging inferno. Now that's going to happen. I, I don't know what the Lord would have done if, if the city would have turned and repented uh, like Nineveh did when, when uh, Jonah came and, pre- and preached. Uh, in other passages, it seems to indicate God would have relented. But even though God might have relented, look what it says. But you've persisted in unfaithfulness. Israel wouldn't relent. It's never the Lord's fault when judgment comes. He gives ample time, doesn't he? We'll never be able to blame the Lord. Well, you didn't give me enough time. I was, um, I was talking to my daughters. I was talking to... Uh, you ever you ever run into when people and, and this is an honest I, I don't, maybe honest is the right word it's a sincere response because people are ignorant of the whole counsel of God and they're ignorant of the work of Christ and they're ignorant of why Jesus left heaven and why he came to the earth but this is one conversation I've had numerous times being a believer and God gives time for people to know the truth and then what they will what they'll do with that. You'll have a conversation and someone will say, I don't understand why God needs so much from us. I don't understand why he, he seems really insecure that he needs all this worship. Uh, I don't understand. God, I mean, I've had people tell me each of these things. I don't understand. It seems like he needs a lot of attention. If he's so loving and so powerful, why does he need all this stuff from us? We're just like... You know, piddly people. What, why does he need our worship and our adoration and our obedience and all this stuff? And if he's so self-sustaining, why does he need us? And I will say back, okay? That's a fair question. I wouldn't want to pose it to him, but that's a fair question. Why would the same God come and bleed and die for you? Because that's the other side of the equation, right? 
One side is, your, is, is our question, Israel, why do you need all this from us? And God says, because I'll bleed and die for you. That's the answer. So I'll get, I've already paid the penalty, but I'll give you time to accept. You have a certain amount of time to accept the terms of peace that I've provided. Because God said, I've paid the whole thing. I've paid it all. Will you accept it? Israel had not come to their senses. As it says in verse 8, they persisted in unfaithfulness. They refused. They, they didn't, I don't, I don't agree with God's logic. I don't agree with what he said. I think, uh, I think our viewpoint is correct. Jesus, remember when he was, he, he wept over Jerusalem. It said he wept and said, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. But what? You were not willing. You weren't willing. Even though my father gave you time and seasons and prophets, and now he sent me, I am truly Emmanuel, God among you, and you still are unwilling. You've seen me heal people. You've seen me do all these things, but still unwilling. And so the time was getting short where Jesus said, you will see this temple destroyed completely. And of course, in AD 70, it would take place. In Revelation chapter 20, where in verses 21 through 23, it says, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, her being uh, a woman that was in um, one of the churches there, and she did not repent. Indeed, I would cast her into a sick bed, and uh, those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Remember, who's the one that knows where we're really at? Jesus says, I am the one that searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each one of you according to your works. He knows where Israel's at. He knows where we're at. He knows what the the depth of our spiritual walk is, but he also has given us time. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she did not repent. I read the testimony recently. This was really cool, though. Um, of a woman who had been involved in the pornography industry for, I think, going back to her teenage years. And uh, someone, her grandfather had invited to her church, invited her to church. She went and got really convicted there. Um, and then she was on a flight to Las Vegas. And she decided to bring a Bible. And she opened up the Bible and read those verses right there. And she said, it was like God said, that is to me. And it got her so convicted, um, she ended up getting saved. She gave her life to Christ. She's today married, has children, has given up. You know, obviously all that stuff's in the past. But when God spoke to her, those verses, don't ever let anyone tell you that those kind of harsh words from God are mean. No, they actually are life-giving. She read those words and she was broken because she realized even though she had been abused and all the bad things that had happened to her in her life, which is normal in that industry, but all those things that happened, she still realized she was still a sinner, just like Rahab uh, in the Old Testament, and she still needed. But God said, here you are on an airplane that could go down, and I've given time, and you still have time, and Israel had time. That's why the scriptures say in Hebrews 3, 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. The time is always now. 
However much time has been given is up to the Lord, but the time to receive and the time to actually follow is always now. All of us, isn't it? All of us. Even, even still, even after we're saved, God always gives us ample time to come to our senses too. To lay aside every weight. To throw aside those things that are hindering us from running the race with endurance, which the Scriptures tell us. Jeremy Taylor said, God hath given to man a short time here upon earth, and yet this short time, on this short time, eternity depends. Well, we know what Israel chose. Sadly, and we'll see more of this in chapter 16. But again, from a discipleship standpoint for us, we have the wisdom now to see what not to do and to see that these things never work. Only God's way works, amen? That only to say, Lord, I want to be useful in your hand and to flee the things that, that are temporal, that are our flesh, and actually run to love, righteousness, faith, those things that bring life, those things that pull someone out of a, a very dark and destructive life. That lady that I mentioned, she, I mean, she was addicted to all kinds of drugs and everything. I mean, there, there's, not, there's no life there. And the Lord says, those things will kill you, but I'll give you life. Will you listen? I hope we learn from Israel. And we continue to, you know, we're going to have people that are skeptical of God's plan. But we have a testimony we can believe in. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word tonight. Lord, we want to be useful. We want to be fit for use in your hands. And Lord, we thank you that you saved us not because of anything we did, quite the opposite, Lord. You came when we were dead in trespasses and sin. And Lord, as we'll see with Israel even in the coming weeks, you did the same. When Israel was lifeless, Lord, you came and rescued. And Lord, you've done the same with us. And Lord, even tonight, we just ask that you would forgive us of, Lord, if in our own walk we've taken our eyes off of what's most important, and, Lord, you would just continue to help us to pursue those things that, Lord, help us to have deeper roots, more maturity, more of love, more of your mind. We want to have the mind of Christ. We thank you for this time, Lord. May the word that we've heard, may it not just be words that we heard, but may you settle it deep within our hearts. We meditate on it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.